Hello, hello. You're listening to For the Girls, Gays and Days, the podcast where two friends process their emotion concerning pop culture of note to the acronymed community. I'm Colt, he, him. I'm Alex, they, them. Welcome. Hello. This week we're talking comfort shows. We each have a list of television series older than 10 years that we like to revisit when we need some comfort. The most popular TV show out right now is a bit heavy. So I thought of this as sort of um, a palate cleanser. For me, when I watch something really heavy, I need to go back to a comfort show or a really asinine, stupid show. And we talked about Love Island last week. (laughs) So if you need something other than Love Island to wash your brain um, after seeing zombies and death, this might be for you. We'll be going back and forth in alphabetical order, so it's in no particular order. We're not saying like this is the best one. We're just like these are <laughs> these are shows we really like to watch. Um, yeah. I will kick us off and start with yeah. Thirty Rock. Ooh. It is the satirical comedy created by Tina Fey that ran for seven seasons to a combined one hundred and thirty-nine episodes from two thousand and six to two thousand and thirteen. <laughs> you got to love those network shows. Uh, set yeah. in Studio 6H at 30 Rockefeller Plaza, it follows Liz Lemon, played by Tina Fey, as the head writer and showrunner of the sketch comedy series TGS with Tracy Jordan. <laughs> Throughout the show, she interacts frequently and frequently clashes with her conservative boss and mentor, Jack Donaghy, played by Alec Baldwin. <laughs> then there's her narcissistic actress best friend, Jenna Maroney, played by Jane Krakowski, Tracy Jordan as an outlandish film star who's essentially a parody version of Tracy Morgan, and of course, Kenneth Parcell, the page, played by Jack McBrayer, a seemingly ageless country bumpkin with a passion for Mm -hmm. television. The show has been described as a live-action cartoon (laughs) with its... (laughs) exaggerated stories and the way it's sort of dripping in pop culture references and send-ups and stylistically it it popularized the cutaway for comedic effect it's a show i reference in my everyday life it's very joker minute type television (laughs) i do (laughs) uh during its run it was nominated for 103 emmy awards and won 11. that is bananas and pajamas Including outstanding comedy series for three years in a row. Yeah. Well, not a good uh, rate. Um, if I was doing stats for yeah. <laughs> It did well in its first three seasons for awards, and then yeah. it would get nominated for, for so many awards for like the remaining seasons, but I don't think it didn't win again until its last season where it won, it won <laughs> one for, for writing. Yeah, like any show of a certain age, there are some controversial episodes and plot points um i think most notably in 2020 four episodes that depicted actors in blackface were removed from streaming services and from syndication at tina fey's request um i think this was around the time of sort of the george floyd stuff in the states and she's just like i've been (laughs) doing some soul searching we probably shouldn't have these episodes out anymore it's not it's not a vibe it was a misstep and sort of like apologized for it and said, let's 
let's get her out of here, girls. Um, but that aside, I think it is, it's it's a very funny show, and I find it very comforting. And it's I like in a comfort show something that I can sort of put on and not pay too much attention to. Sometimes I think my exactly. list is, is a combination of shows that I wanna I wanna sit and obsess about for weeks at a time. There's a couple of those shows, <laughs> but for the most part, it's shows I want to just sort of put on, not have to put a lot of mental effort in. Cool. And so sitcoms and stuff work really well for that because they're short, short episode lengths. They sort of tell a snappy story in 20 minutes and 30 Rock definitely does that. It's true. I, I love that show. I think it, it the jokes hold up most of them. Like any comedy, it's of its time. So, I mean, I'm not here to problematize a show that I think is brilliant. I think did a lot for a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't want to watch it, you don't have to. It's a great wow. thing. Yeah. Um, where, where there's so many options for you. One thing you will notice in this episode is the fact that Colt is a happy, well-adjusted human who watches a variety of shows. I am a slightly <laughs> obsessive human, and when I need comfort and when I need uh-huh. to put something on in the background, it's guaranteed to be about a British detective um, solving a murder. Um, sorry so to the rest of the tell world. Tell us about your first show, then, Alex. Well, I think I teed it up there. Uh, my first one is Death in Paradise. It's a British television show that has captured audiences, I think, for a number of seasons, 14 seasons, if I if I count correctly. Um, the most recent season is now out, but I'll take you back to the very beginning. Um, it has a mixture of mystery, humor, and a tropical setting. It's not a Nordic noir. It's light and fun and silly. It starts with the journey of Detective Inspector Richard Poole as he solves crimes on the beautiful island of St. Marie. Each episode is filled with quirky characters, humor, and a murder to solve. But what keeps me coming back to it is the beautiful island setting and the com- the vibe between the detectives. Sometimes they're in love. Sometimes they have beef. Sometimes they um, have forgotten to shower and wash their shirt and (laughs) they need their friends to help them out. And sometimes they get drunk and pass out. Like it's more (laughs) about the murder is a great thing, but it kind Mm. of the thing that keeps me coming back to it is, is the actual uh, dynamic between the cast and crew. Mm. Um, Because Mm. you can tell with, each and every script that comes out, their little inside jokes that they have going, or even the wardrobe department, I think, has a laugh because what it is is that a new inspector comes every couple of years. Ah. So you don't just have one detective. It's not Richard Poole okay. forever. I'm not going to tell you what happens to Richard Poole, but eventually, you know, you get Richard Poole's kind of a fastidious, um, very specific person who's very neat, very tidy. Then he gets replaced by a gentleman people from Love actually will recognize as uh, Ben Miller, I think is his uh, the actor's name. And he's fumbling and messy and has never ironed a shirt in his life. He gets replaced. So there are, there are lots of little little things that keep me coming back to it. And mm. it is fantastic to put on in the background while you don't want to concentrate too hard. Everything will mm. work out by the end, I promise. Must admit. I have not seen a single episode of Death in Paradise. I'm familiar with the name. I have not seen a single episode. But, you know, I like a murder mystery. 
There's I no like a detective story. So that's yeah. that is the yeah. thing. Is it's definitely a genre that I enjoy. I just have never been as obsessive as me because you're well adjusted. We know. <laughs> well, I, I I get obsess obsessive, <laughs> as we'll get to in in my next <laughs> my next show, and what? that is Charmed. Yes, gay. <laughs> oh, that's is the gay watch. It's so great. Fantasy drama series created by Constance M. Burge that ran for eight seasons to a combined one hundred and seventy eight episodes. From 1998 to 2006. The premise, if you've never seen Charmed, essentially is that three sisters are living in a manor house in San Francisco, and they happen to be the most powerful witches in the world. And in mostly an evil of the week type format, we see them fight for the forces of good against the forces of evil. It's roughly what we've got. For the first three seasons, that trio of sisters included eldest sister Prue Hallowell, played by Shannon Doherty, who had the ability of telekinesis. You had middle sister Piper Hallowell, played by Holly Marie Combs, a chef and later nightclub owner with the ability to stop time. The nightclub. Yeah, Piper's the best one. Yeah, just (laughs) not to be biased, but Piper's the best one. (laughs) <laughs> and then we have younger sister Phoebe Hallowell, played by Alyssa Milano, a college student and later mm. advice columnist with the ability to see the future. Now, following an alleged feud between co-stars Shannon Doherty and Alyssa Milano, Prue would be written <laughs> off the show at the end mm, of the third season. Yeah. Uh, and then long last half sister, Paige Matthews, played by Rose McGowan, joined the show and would remain with the show for the next five years until the show ended at the end of season eight. This was one of the earliest shows I remember becoming obsessed with. I initially caught the odd episode here and there for the first few seasons, and I didn't really start following it until the fourth season. But once I did, I truly obsessed over it. Uh, I consumed as much as I could about the show using my dial-up internet connection. (laughs) I spent hours trying to download a JPEG that would, you know, go down section by section every five minutes or so. (laughs) I used to make episode guides, like print out episode guides and character sheets, and I would record the episodes on VHS tapes that I would lovingly decorate. I even made my own Book of Shadows, my own version of a Book of Shadows, but I still have it. It's a leather bound, essentially it was an old diary that I turned, that I, you know, leather bound and would fill in bits from the Book of Shadows about different demons and spells. You should post it on the Instagram. I feel like you should take photos of it and post it on the Instagram. Yeah, yeah, might do that. And yeah, my aunt in the States used to get the Charmed magazines for me because while the show was airing, they also did a magazine with interviews and breakdowns and theorizing. Um, And then she would bring me just stacks of them when she would come to visit. It was very much the start of my love for witchy media and for strong women-led media. Um, It's definitely a cult classic. Never... Really receiving any kind of mainstream awards recognition. I it 
I don't think it received a single Emmy nomination in its eight years. Really? Um, really? I mean, it's definitely <laughs> cheesy. It's a lot of cheese. It's, it's a lot of camp. It's a lot of camp, but it goes deep on drama and heartbreak as well. Like I cannot tell you the amount of times that I bawled my little eyes out to that show. And then it, it also balances with a lot of comedic moments as well. I think it is. It's funny. Genuinely yeah. funny. Yeah. yeah. There was a reboot series that I never finished. I tried with that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I watched the first episode and then I thought, oh, perhaps not for me. I made it a handful of yeah. episodes in. I didn't finish the first season, but I, I, I gave it a good go. Uh, it just didn't hit the same. Oh, yeah. I may go back one day and give it a go, but f- for now, I'm I'm content rewatching, rewatching the actual show. I have every season on DVD, and you know I love That's a show that I actually have. If I yeah. actually have physical copies of a DVD, you know I love it because I don't yeah. have that for a lot of things, but I do have that for Charmed. I was very obsessed and continue to be obsessed with that show and its aesthetic. And I do very much enjoy that the sort of style of the era that Charmed was out is back in in vogue again, so to speak, with Gen Z, bless them, for for thinking they invented the late 90s and early noughties. Mm, for having bad taste. Um, that we <laughs> all had at that age. And I think, you know, it's just a, a I thing we all have it. to go yeah, I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Yeah. yeah, nobody, nobody needs to see those fashions again, but they're bringing it back. One quick thing I will say about Charmed is that mm. so Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which was out around the same time, unlocked mm. my love mm. of witches because of Willow and Tara, and so Rightly I so. would um, mm. read fan fiction uh, that had crossovers of Buffy and Charmed, and then mm. print them out and then keep them in my room like little books. Um, I would also record the episodes on VHS just like Colson would rewatch them because my mom wasn't keen on um anything of that nature and I was. <laughs> so I would use up all the ink and just print things out. <laughs> um I say I love that show. I haven't rewatched it, um, but I did fucking love that show. And Alyssa Milano was you know. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's it's brilliant. My my next show doesn't mm, have mm-hmm. as many episodes. One thing you will notice if you love de- uh, British detective shows, especially ones run by the BBC, which are available on PBS Masterpiece in uh, America, is that there's about four episodes a season. Three episodes if you're lucky. <laughs> and um, what mm-hmm. my next one is Endeavour. And... Endeavor specifically will actually spread the mystery across one or two episodes, and the episodes are long. Mm. So, okay. Endeavor is another British detective drama <laughs> uh, that takes us back to the early days of Inspector Morse. So, mm. get ready to experience mystery, suspense, and drama, a lot more serious than Death in Paradise. Um, and it's set in the 1960s as we follow a brilliant young detective as he solves crimes in Oxford where smart, dodgy, rich people are. What makes the show compelling to me is the attention to detail. It has historical accuracy, and it just kind of transports me back in time, and I love that. You know, they have it down to the sandwiches that Morse's mentor eats. I love that kind of specificity, and well-written storylines, excellent performances, and engaging... It's a bit like seeing a puzzle box at the start of the episode and you slowly, you feel smart with him as he unlocks it. 
Mm. It's something that Agatha Christie was very good at, and it's something that that they're very good at too. You feel just as smart as the smartest guy in the room, and the smartest guy is Endeavor Morse. Yes, his first name is Endeavor. His parents were very <laughs> much taking the piss, um, but I mm. I love it, and I think it's brilliant. It's it's really up there for me as one of the things that I'll put on and. I can do laundry to it. I can do work to it. I can just space out and watch it and let him take me on a trip. It deals with a lot of heavy things. It definitely unpacks things and gives you mm. great context of the time and just why people are the way they are. I think it's a, a real study in humanity and about the different classes in England. So it's brilliant. What you got, Nick? Right. Well, I have next on on my list something that I believe is on your list, which is the Golden Girls, Uh, the the sitcom created by Susan Harris that ran for seven seasons and combined 180 episodes from 1985 to 1992. The show, if you don't know, revolves (laughs) around four older single women sharing a house in Miami, Florida. We have Manita Blanche Devereaux, played by Rue McClanahan, mm-hmm. naive small town oddball Rose Nyland, played by Betty White, cynical and sarcastic Dorothy Zbornak, played by B. Arthur, <laughs> and her no filter Sicilian mother, Sophia Petrillo, played by Estelle yeah. Getty. It Good. is one of the most yeah. renowned television classics of all time and a huge deal. For gay people everywhere. I think mostly because the four women, I think I've I've seen this sort of take a lot. I'm not coming up with this take, is the take I've seen a lot. <laughs> that it's these four women can very easily read as allegorical versions of different types of gay men <laughs> in a time where there was no way gay people could ever lead a television show. So I think a lot of people have said it was a way for the writer to to put the people that she loved, the community she loved, on screen in in a way that it was still groundbreaking because it was also revolutionary for the time for focusing on women at a certain age. Leading oh. a television show was sort of unheard of at the time as well, and it and it was done and and they addressed so many topics that were revolutionary to be talking about on television at the time, from AIDS. To gay marriage, chronic fatigue, immigration, and so on and so forth. There, are, it's they touch Ooh. on a lot of stuff in this show, while also being one of the funniest things to ever be put yeah. to television. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We send each other clips back and forth oh, every constantly. day. It's a once a week. We send each other clips. Yeah, I watch it. Um, just the minute I've watched something else, it's on Hulu here. So what I love about Hulu for that is the minute I finished one episode of Abbott Elementary or whatever I'm watching on Hulu, which is also Love Island, it flows straight <laughs> into Golden Girls. So I've been I've been drip feeding myself Golden Girls every single week, one episode or maybe two episodes, depending on how I'm feeling, and I love it. Did you watch the Golden Girls when you were younger? Was this something you sort of grew up watching? Yeah, so um, we would watch it in the lounge we would all watch tv together my whole family liked it so mm. it, a lot like Abbott elementary in the way that it can it deals with a lot of different issues in a very 
um, specific voice, but mm. that voice somehow connects with a lot of different generations. Mm, mm-hmm. And I think people forget that that's what sitcoms do. You should be able to mm. sit in a room with with a myriad of people and yeah. all laugh at mm. truth. You know, like the things they sneak in there while you're laughing are absolutely brilliant. I mean, like you said, the the AIDS episode, there was an episode of home, on homelessness that I watched recently. Mm, mm. So, uh, really good. Um, the lesbian episode. Because mm. <laughs> who hasn't fallen in love with uh, Sweet Blanche? Um, my favorite thing in the world is to see the moments where uh, Betty White breaks the rest of the women. <laughs> um, because a lot of the time she yeah. would, I don't know if this is true, this is just gay folklore, but apparently they would put in the script that she tells a, a story about certain law. And sometimes yeah. she would just pull it out her ass. Yeah, so make it, it up as she went along. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah and, and then we, the women just have to sit there and go, mm-hmm. <laughs> My favorite <laughs> one of that that I've seen is the is the one with the fish at the circus where it's like there were tiny juggling <laughs> tiny knives. <laughs> and you just see Rue and B just just hosing themselves, oh, like in the most genuine <laughs> non-actory laugh you've ever heard. Oh, it is a delight. It's it's for me. It's not a show that I did watch when I was younger. I don't think, or not regularly. Oh, you anyway, didn't. I think I'd seen a couple of episodes because mm. I re- I remembered some things when I eventually did start watching the show properly, which was during the pandemic, during the twenty twenty mm. lockdowns, is when I first started yeah. watching, and I watched the Golden Girls all the way through. I think I've done like three rewatches all the way through since then, at least once a year. I have now, since 2020, at least once a year, I watch the entirety of the Golden Girls. Just because I, 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 I couldn't yeah. get enough of the show. I, I definitely remembered parts of it, moments from it, but I, I'd never watched it all the way through until I was a grown-ass adult. And I love it now. It is one of I, my favorite favorites. I only remembered snippets from it like you from when I watched it as a kid, because when you watch it as a kid, I don't think you... Like I laughed at the jokes because they were funny, but when you're a kid, you don't really you understand more of the context as an adult. Obviously, not everything is aged well with the show. Um, Again, we have some blackface in there, which truly shook me. The first time I saw the episode that that has that in, and the way that they did, I was just like, "Oh my god, what is happening? What is happening?" But apart from a, a couple of, of, of moments where you're like, ooh, that's, ooh, ooh, I think it still feels relevant, a lot of it, nearly 40 years yeah. later, and I think that's a huge achievement. The show did receive 68 Emmy nominations and 11 wins, including wins for each of the four lead women, which is something that I think only a handful of shows have ever done. I think the the most recent show to do that, to have all of its leads win at least one Emmy, was Schitt's Creek. But I think there's only like two or three other shows that have been able to do that. So that's great. And the fact that it's on both of our lists, I mean, my my little blurb for this was in a departure from the rest of my brain, Golden Girls <laughs> lives in a beautiful Florida home with lots of deaths, but no murders as far as I know. Um, even and just though, some of the most, you know, Blanche almost got murdered several times. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. and it's some of the most fabulous fashions as well. Like some of it is tr- yeah. truly hideous and and should be burnt. But other times, <laughs> I find myself looking at Dorothy going, "I could, I could wear that. 
I could pull that off. You could definitely wear most of Dorothy's wardrobe. Yeah. Some of it you shouldn't because she did she did push the boat out a bit far sometimes. There was a few um, um, yeah. blouses that were sort of knee length and then like palazzo trousers oh. underneath that. And maybe that shouldn't be recreated <laughs> with yeah, like a sweater vest on top of that. Like it's it, it yeah. But I definitely do think that I'm I'm a Dorothy. If we're gonna do the thing that's always done with Sex in the City, like which Sex in the City girl are you? Which Golden Girl are you? I am very much a Dorothy. Who do you think I am? I hope you don't take this as an insult because I don't mean it that way. But I think you're a Rose. Oh, I like Rose. And that you're the sweetest, caring, most caring person, and you're prone to prattle off a story in a really adorable way. <laughs> I realize now that I can just make those up because I don't actually remember the things I thought. <laughs> yeah. So I can just back and say Ola. Um, <laughs> and it'll be Cape Town. I can do that all the time now because these people have no fucking idea. So I can just be like, you know, back in Cape Town with the Voldebius, my neighbor. Um, it'll be great. Nobody will know. Uh, right. Anyway, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. And we're back talking about the 10 shows from 10 years ago and beyond that we love to watch as comfort. Yeah. Comfort watches. You need something that you know uh, what's going to happen. You need the surety of a strong need most of the time. And for our whole list, I think we've chosen shows with either strong female leads or Mm. male leads that are sometimes (laughs) queer-coded. My next show on my list is Murder, She Wrote, an American Mm. television show that first aired in 1984, starring Angela Lansbury of All Your Childhood Favorites fame as amateur detective Jessica Fletcher. The show ran for 12 seasons and a total of 264 episodes which blew my mind i just looked that up now that's crazy making it one of the longest running crime dramas in television history wow the shows a lot of for a lot of americans made angela lansbury a household name Mm -hmm. um but in my household she was already a member she just didn't know it (laughs) <laughs> um and it's a her place in history like that's yeah, the yeah. that's the great thing it's about like... television um i think some movies people go back to over and over again but because mm. of the nature of television and reruns being in your home yeah 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 it really just brings it in angela lansbury's performance is jessica fletcher is what led to the show's success um, and she had a big part in making it what it was, whether it was hiring people, performing mm. a theme song. Mm-hmm. Um, she just, people fell in love with her. Throughout the show's run, she received numerous accolades for her performance, including several Golden Globe Awards and nominations for Primetime Emmy Awards. It really went down in history. I think RuPaul Charles mm. was a big fan for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people are for a reason. It, it mm. was effortless. I think... And also just so believable. Like she she gave us so many details about Jessica Fletcher that you ended mm. up feeling as though you knew how Jessica would react to the situation. Mm. I used to um, watch it at my friend Michelle's house as a kid when I was like seven and eight, whatever it was, in primary school. And I had a notepad. Michelle and I had a notepad and we would take notes throughout the episode. 
Um, and then in those days, there was a break before the final act, before the reveal mm-hmm. of who the murderer mm-hmm. was. So in that advert break, we would summarize our notes and figure out who we thought was the murderer and then That's um, so see who was right most of the time. I loved it. How often did uh, you get it right? I don't remember. My memory, mm. my childhood memory is patchy and past. That's already quite specific. Like... So I was just shooting in the dark to see if you, <laughs> you didn't know, but that's already a, yeah, a lovely no, specific I, memory. I, I, I loved it. Shout out to Michelle Border. She taught me how to pour pasta in a in a spoon and, <laughs> uh, you know, figure out who the murderer was. Um, <laughs> the show's guest star roster was a veritable who's who of Hollywood, including yeah. some of the biggest names. Danny mm. DeVito, um, John Forsythe, Carol Burnett. But what I found out after Angela Lansbury's death was that she would, because when you're an actor in the States, if you mm. have your little uh, Screen Actors Guild card, you get healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so to keep your card current, you have to like be on a TV show. Mm. And every a set number of years. So she would invite older actors on, especially women mm. and a lot of men, mm. um, so mm. that their cards would stay active and their healthcare mm. would stay on. And she did that for a lot of mm. people and she would mentor a lot of people. I mean, I think there's even a story about her and and her kid falling in love with a famous serial killer and her moving them, the whole family oh, away yes. to stay with the serial yeah, killer. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, these are she has lots of fun Manson facts family, about her. Yeah. yeah. And her kid fell in love and it was a whole thing, but yeah. What I want to focus on now is is the show. Mm. Um, you could we could spend an entire podcast talking about Angela Lansbury and everything she's done for cinema and musicals and TV and mm-hmm. just art in general. Yeah. Um, she is one of those people. But mm-hmm. I think the great thing about Murder She Wrote is is that it took that idea of talking about five people in a village. Mm. and made it a murder mystery and so eventually they leave cabot cove um and go to new york and go to new orleans and travel throughout but um Mm. i think it's just a brilliant i think her nephews and nieces were some of the most suspicious people of all time um (laughs) they must have been suspected for murder at least seven times each but i really appreciate (laughs) that about the show too available on peacock in the states so Nice. You can. There's also a Murder Share channel. Wow! Uh, you can watch all of the episodes. Well, when you've got two hundred be... some, two hundred sixty some episodes, <laughs> you you can carry a whole channel to yourself. <laughs> you can carry a whole channel, and I think it's just it's absolutely brilliant. It is what I see as the prototype for my later life. I hope that I live <laughs> in some seaside village and write murder mysteries. Uh, um, that's they the might dream. not make me rich, but. I do, I do want to do dream. that. Um, mm. It's absolutely brilliant. Have you watched it? I've not watched all 260 some odd episodes, but I've definitely watched <laughs> a a decently, like a, a, a good double fistful um, of episodes. Yeah. It's definitely something yeah. that I would love to go and do a complete watch of, like I did with the Golden Girls, sort of knowing of it for a very long time, knowing of some of the references, but never actually sitting and watching it. Episode one to episode two sixty something. Uh, right. Well, let's let's move on to my next item, my next comfort show mm-hmm. on my list. Uh, it is Lost, the yes. science fiction drama series created by Damon Lindelof, J.J. Abrams, and Jeffrey Lieber. I literally, I'm obsessed with Lost, but I forgot that that man was there until like I did my research. I for forgot this he was there. 
Really? Yeah, no idea. Mm. I couldn't tell I you what he's done David since. Too. I couldn't tell you what he no. looked like. But yeah, the, the notable <laughs> ones are Damon Lindelof and J.J. Abrams. And the show ran for six <laughs> seasons to a combined 121 episodes from 2004 to 2010. Mm-hmm. The show follows a group of plane crash survivors on a mysterious island at its most basic description, with Ooh. most episodes having an on-island storyline and a flashback storyline for a specific character to fill in their backstories about who they were as people, how they ended up getting on the plane that ended up crashing. Um, and then they shuffle up that format as the as the show goes on and do some really interesting things with that format that they established in the first couple of seasons. The show was heavily serialized, which was something that was sort of new for television around that time that wasn't was sort of it was just as you were sort of moving away from that idea of you make a TV show that anyone could pick up in any episode, having seen none of the others. I think that was sort of the mentality for a really long time in TV is you wanted to have a show that someone could pick up and watch coming in at any point in the series. And I think Lost is is mm. one of a number of TV shows that really moved away from that from from the get-go. And while the mystery element was a big part of it, with you know polar bears and smoke monsters and mysterious hatches in the ground what made mm, the show so that. successful for me was the way that it was ultimately a character study and i think that it had some of the most nuanced and complex characters put to screen and featured an ensemble that was and still sadly kind of does feel groundbreakingly diverse in terms of having, I think it was one of the first shows, first American TV shows to ever feature an entire episode that's in Korean and subtitled the entire episode, and having yeah different different body sizes, different ages, different people from different backgrounds, from different ethnicities, different countries, uh, and really giving all these characters a a focus and a story. They weren't just like set dressing. They weren't just background characters. Every sort of, okay, maybe not every, every character, but the majority of characters got like their moment in the spotlight, their moment to shine, mm-hmm. their moment to have a real story and a real life. Yeah. That being said, there was a disappointing lack of any queer characters. I think in the in- entire six season one of the show, there was two queer characters who were very much peripheral characters who didn't who didn't really get backstories or, or or like a fleshed out life so that's one very disappointing element to it for me which is the sort of only disappointing element that i personally have a lot of people have criticized the show for asking more questions than it answers but frankly if that's your takeaway i can't help but feel you've missed the point of the show exactly Specifically, the final. The final was heavily criticized um, and is put on a lot of people's worst finals lists, but Mm. it's one of my personal favorite finales of a show. I found it to be emotionally and thematically satisfying. And that's that's where I want it to be. And if, if there were any mysteries unanswered, I didn't care enough about them to be upset that they didn't get resolved. So yeah, there there were there were I think a lot less mysteries than people give it credit for, but I think there were mysteries that weren't addressed. There were certain things that were dropped. 
And I don't think that makes it a bad show. I don't think that makes it bad writing when you sort of, because that's another criticism is people are like, oh, they made it up as they went along. Of course they fucking did. <laughs> it's a yeah. network television show where you're, you have to do 22 to 26 episodes a season, hour long episodes. Of course you're making it up as you go along. Like you can have a general plan. And I do believe that there was a general plan of, of things they yeah. wanted to hit at some point in the show, but ultimately they did make it up as they go, at the, as they went along. And I think that makes it better writing. Like you have a, a lot of stories specifically around the pilot and around a lot of the characters in that first episode that weren't in the original drafts of the script. They sort of had a thing of they had actors come in to read for certain roles and they were like, God, that actor is so good. I really want to work with that actor, but we don't have a character in the yeah. script at the moment for them to play. So we're going to make one. We're going to create one and we're going to give this actor a chance to, to do something on this show. And there was a lot of instances of characters were brought in to be like two, three episode arcs. And because they loved the work that that actor did, and they loved the sort of response to that character from the people working on the show. And they're like, you know what, we're going to keep this character around and we're going to flesh this character out. And I think from a writing perspective, that is to be led by your characters and to be led by the best way to tell an interesting story for your characters. I think is is really good writing. And I think to realize that maybe certain points, plots that you introduced that aren't working the way you wanted them to, I don't think there's any shame in then dropping those. Being like, we're not going to ever have a satisfying way to like wrap this up. We don't really, we, re we regret introducing it in, <laughs> into one of our many episodes we had to fill, but we're not going to, we're not going to address it just for the sake of addressing it. So... And you felt that this thing, especially around the third season, where the showrunners were sort of treading water while trying to get the okay from the network to end the show on their terms. I think from about like season two, they were like, we want to end the show sooner rather than later. Let us end the show. Mm -hmm. And they were sort of told, no, 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 no. The, the show is a hit. The show is is doing so well you're going to keep making the show for years to come. I think the, the network wanted it to run for like 10 seasons of like 20 episodes mm -hmm. a season. And they're like, we can't do that. And I think when in season three, there was a few episodes that really were, were stinkers. There were stinkers of episodes. There was the plot threads that people hated. And I think when the network was able to see, okay, this is what comes from trying to stretch the show out for longer than it should. And then, and then following that, they were told, okay, you can end it in, in three seasons. So from there, the show has more of a sort of focus to it um, again. So I think a lot of the complaints that people had is a sort of around season three. And a lot of the stuff that was introduced in season three are the, are the mysteries that people complained were not resolved. In my opinion, and it was one of those shows that would come out on South African uh, government TV once a week. And I would watch it once a week. One of the great things about TV to me, and it might it's not everybody's opinion, I don't need it to be, is that a good TV show, you keep talking about it 10 years after it's come out, mm. 20 years mm -hmm. after it's come out, mm -hmm. not because it gave you um, a story wrapped up with a ribbon, but because it, mm. it makes you think. It simmers in your brain. It marinates. It engaged you. Um, it engaged so many people. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be uh, many long-form articles 
on Emily in Paris in 15 years. No. Because I don't think it's one of those shows where you will think about it. Yeah. And the things that it brings up many years later, and it's not to say only dramas could do that. I mean, Sex in the City, mm-hmm. people still mm-hmm. talk about it. Um, however, many years later, there are lots of shows that people still, even on this list, I mean, Golden Rules, people still mm-hmm. talk about mm-hmm. some of the things. And I, for me, I remember you being really obsessed with the show and it was like mm-hmm. something we talked about a lot at university Yeah, because I think it, it posed questions mm-hmm. and what a lot of people don't realize about American network TV is it's just like your office. So you have like politics happening. You have yeah. bosses yeah. with their own um, kind of metrics and, yeah. that they're, they're, they're trying mm-hmm. to do. Um, it's it's a money making enterprise, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not put out for the sake of art, which I think in some other parts of the world TV can be just exist for the sake of art because mm. they've structured their broadcasters broadcasters that way. But some of the American classics are not mm. that way, um, yeah. and it's like you spoke about now. Somebody sat down and said, "I need ten years of this," um, and they were like, so "Absolutely not. They can't." Like yeah, from a from a creative standpoint, from the yeah. story that we want to tell, we don't want to tell that story over ten years. Yeah. We don't want to tell that story for another seven years. We want to tell that story for a maximum of three. <laughs> and, and I think that we're one of the first shows to to, yeah. to get that to actually have that be a mandate where they're like, right, we're going to do this much of this show. Um, exactly. And I think more of that is happening you now. To- you get more shows that, yeah. are, that are able to go. Okay, look, this is a one and done. Or like, no, this is, we've done two of these, we're not doing any more. Um, and I think sometimes that needs I, to happen. Yeah. Sometimes something is better for having less of it. It was it was emotive, important television that changed the landscape of television at that time um, and has yeah. long-lasting ramifications. So I think, you yeah. know. And for me, it, it, <laughs> for me, it was it was the first TV show that made me go, I want to do that. I remember that moment. Yeah, I want to tell stories for a living, and I want to be a filmmaker of some descript. I, I rewatch it every couple of years, and I think every time I do watch it, I'm still learning and discovering things about it, seeing more more layers to it, more complexities to the storytelling, and and I appreciate it more every time I I rewatch it. And I think it is a show that I I mean I loved it the first time I watched it, but I love it every every time I. Rewatched, I love it a little bit more. For me, my next show didn't make me cry, but it is one of my comfort watches. Like, um, if ever I'm down in the doldrums, I do put it on. It's Agatha Christie's Prowrow, a British television show that first aired in 1990. So it started when I was two. I'm really old. And yeah, starred David born, and yeah. Suchet as the fastidious Belgian detective, Hercule Poirot. Based on the novels of um, Agatha Christie, the show ran 13 seasons and a total of 70 episodes because it's British TV. Um, (laughs) It was one of the most successful adaptations of Christie's work and quickly became a classic of the genre. David's portrayal of Hercule was widely praised and is considered to be one of the best performances of the character. Um, For me, sorry to everybody else who might have BAFTAs and Oscars and Specifically the one that rhymes with Smanish manner, yeah. Uh, uh, This wasn't as good. Um, David's attention to detail and his commitment to the role helped bring Poirot to life. 
the moustache is down to a hair with him. Like he <laughs> is just brilliant, but it's not the moustache as much as the mm. overall. He wears way the moustache. The moustache doesn't wear him. Yeah. He. I recently found out that he wore a fat suit for this role, and I didn't know because uh. it doesn't. It's not noticeable. I think mm. he he definitely embodied the character in a way that is hard to move away from if you if you've seen it. And just like Murder She Wrote, they had a talented cast of guest stars: Hugh Fraser, Philip Jackson, Pauline Moran. But it also had some of the most famous British actors of all time: Judy Dench, Ian Holm, Derek Jacobi. So if you watch it, you'll see lots of people. Zoe Wanamaker, I think, is on there too. You'll see lots of people you know throughout. And what I really liked about it is the set design, the just the beautiful, beautiful detail of Art Deco throughout. The opening theme is one of the most famous of all time, but it's just so well done. And then to... To see this man who is fastidious is an understatement. He is, oof, he is so specific. Mm. And you kind of fall in love with that specificity and that mm. need to organize everything, every single one of his thoughts. And you start to realize that's how he solves things. Like when one mm. thing doesn't fit in a row, he that is the key. And so you kind of end up seeing the world like him. And I and I really loved it. It also, just like all of Agatha Christie's characters, set the set the format that a lot of people call on today. Bringing everyone to a room, um, you know, red herrings and sidekicks that make you feel smart because you know something that they haven't realized yet because they might be a bit slow on the uptake or just are a bit blunt in their views. And so you end up feeling like um, you're on the same level as Paro instead of feeling like you're a police detective. Mm. I love it. And I think it's a masterclass in in why it, you know, crime should be, where it's not focusing that much on the crime, but focusing a lot on the people, which is a theme throughout all the shows I enjoy and just shows that have an attention to detail because I love detail. I, I don't like... I don't like it when people kind of like have coffee cups in the back of shots or or um, have things that aren't meant to be there because I will notice mm. everything in a mm. scene, unfortunately. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever watched it? You've never watched it, right? You, you Your first, um, and you never read the books, the first you got no. into it was Kenneth Branagh's. The first time I, I saw those specific stories, Murder on the Orient mm. Express and Death on the Nile, was the Kenneth Branagh version. I have since seen the the um, the Poirot version, um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. I haven't watched I haven't watched them all, but I've watched those two those two specific episodes, and I I will definitely yeah. check out more of it in in the future. They're on BritBox in the states. You can stream each one of them. Um, the books are also just classics, I feel like. Mm -hmm. um, so if you get the audiobooks, they're narrated by Hugh Fraser, who also played in the series. Mm. Um, and the show is great. The books are even better. Mm. Um, and, you know, Agatha Christie, she really put her all Agatha Pussy into it. And I just <laughs> I, I appreciate that about her. Agreed. 
Right. Well, we're moving on to the last show on our little list, which is uh, from me, which is Pushing Daisies. Hey! <laughs> it is the comedy drama series from Brian Fuller that ran for a criminally short two yes. seasons and 22 episodes from 2007 to 2009. It centers on Ned the Pie Maker, played by the dreamy Lee Pace, who has so the hot. ability to wake the dead with a touch of his skin. And if he touches mm. them again, they're dead again forever. Yeah. Yeah. And if they stay or alive for more than a minute, someone else of an equivalent life value will die. So Ned works with a private investigator, Emerson Codd, played by Shai McBride, to solve crimes by touching murder victims, asking who killed them, and then touching them again and collecting the reward. <laughs> One of these crimes ends up being the death of his childhood sweetheart, Charlotte Charles, a.k.a. Chuck, played by Anna Frail, who he alives again and... They have one of the most heartwarming romances on television that just makes me feel giddy every time I watch it. And I've watched it so many times now, but it just, their chemistry, the the characters they play, Ned being the sort of like awkward mile a minute type speaker and, and Chuck being very sort of outgoing and joyful about life, not a drop of cynicism in her. The show also features... The icon legend an entire moment that is Christian Chenoweth as Olive Snook. Mother, absolutely. She mm-hmm. won an Emmy for the role, gave some just absolute comedy gold performances. She drops in a few musical numbers, which we love to see because Christian Chenoweth has a voice of an angel. Um and sign. The show yeah. is quaint, it's quirky, it's highly stylized and candy-colored, yeah. and you have Jim Dale doing the narration. The writing is so sharp and hysterical. Uh, it got nominated for 17 Emmys and won seven in its two very short seasons. This was the first time a show being cancelled broke me. You were sad. And it tops so many lists of shows cancelled too soon, and and rightly so. If they ever make more episodes, I will lose my mind. And there has there was chatter at some point about a potential film, but I don't yes. think anything came of it, unfortunately. But I I think it's just one of those shows that it is, is so easy to watch. It's so easy to fall in love with. The characters are just oh, phenomenal. It is, it, yeah. It's one of my favorite shows of all time, and it is absolutely a warm blanket and a cup of tea kind of kind of comforting to me it is oh, the jockey episode was one of my favorites i don't know why one of the funniest <laughs> episodes so, on television so good oh that was a program that was yeah. i think one of the ones first ones we bonded over and we both really loved i the the styling you mentioned how stylized it is but i just the, the detail work mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. incredible yeah and the uh, there's a bit where he he makes pies to save money. He he gets um, fruit that's past its sell by date, past yeah. its edible date, and then makes it alive again. Alives it again. Yeah, um, yeah and I just love that. I just love the, there's a bit with um, cellophane. Yeah, um, because because they up. they can't touch. Yeah. 
chuck a net yeah. can't can't touch so to like kiss and make out they have to like do it through plastic wrap one of the cutest scenes in the literal yeah. world is it's just anyway so yeah. i would say watch that um if you yeah. want to feel heartbroken after two seasons they, um, they watch did, it, but also they did wrap things cute. up as well as they could with the last yeah. episode i think they were given like a two episodes warning that they were not going to be coming back which not a lot of shows do when they're cancelled too soon. Some shows just end and it's it's really unsatisfying, at least with this show. Mm. They were obviously setting up to do more. Like they're, It's the type of ending that absolutely could have gone into a, a really great third season, but it also is satisfying enough as an ending to the series in its entirety that it's not... It's not... In the yeah, middle of the disappointing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't, you, you don't have that feeling of, oh... It's the end of a chapter. Know, it's got it's an end of a chapter end of feel. Yeah. yeah, that is it. Um, do you know why they cancelled it? I just don't think it got the viewership. Like it, it's it's become like a cult classic since then. But I just don't think that it got big numbers when it was on, and it just didn't didn't make it. Yeah. Didn't survive. Yeah. See, a lot of people are silly and they make bad yeah. choices. Yeah. Um, but I, I do. But you I at home listening to this can make great choices and watch. You can these. make great choices. Watch these shows Paul represented Lee to you. Eyebrows. Yeah, yeah, Lee Pace's eyebrows are worth their own TV show. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, watch watch these TV shows. They're definitely comforting. Um, there are a pilot cleanser after you've seen some rough things. Everything yeah. does work out for these people in the end. Yeah. Um, I love them. More or less. <laughs> more, more or less. And that is yeah. our time. So if you want to give oh, us a follow yeah. on socials, we are at Girls Gaze Days underscore pod on Instagram and TikTok. You can watch video versions of this podcast on YouTube as well. And join us again next week for another sip of queer culture and nostalgia. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>